Welcome to episode 46 of 1530. So today we want to talk about, uh, it's the clay court season. So they, the tournaments that have been played, Monte Carlo and Barcelona have already been played. And the players, we're going to be talking about those champions, the guys that are looking really hot going into the rest of the tune-ups before Roland Garros. And those two players are Stefano Tsitsipas and kind of the black horse or the, uh, the dark horse coming out of nowhere is Carlos Alcarez, the young Spaniard. So we'll talk about him. He's been a force these past few, uh, these past couple months, but really kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if many people had really heard of him. I hadn't heard of him until last year, but uh, yeah, so we'll definitely talk about those guys. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. So for stat of the day, um, it's going to be Carlos Alcarez. So he's the youngest man to be in the top 10 since Rafael Nadal about 17 years ago. So he was last year, I think about ranked like 180 um, or definitely way outside the top 100. And then just recently uh, with his win at Miami, which is an ATP 1000 and Barcelona, he is now number nine in the world. So he's in the top 10. So pretty significant achievement. Um, I know he's getting all these Nadal comparisons, right? And of course, Nadal being the actual youngest player in the top 10, it's Pretty incredible. Alcarez is the young age of 18. So pretty amazing he's able to do that. But his game is amazing. I don't know if you've seen much of the youngster, Matt, or if I feel like he's going to be the face of the ATP for years to come. But he's pretty Yeah, I agree. Um, I've seen – I've watched highlights. Um, I think he played Sissipas this year recently. On he did. Something. He beat him. Yeah, he beat him at Barcelona. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so those highlights are interesting. I know that, um, like you – Obviously, I mean, he kind of stormed on the scene last year and had some some good matches and obviously is winning some tournaments now. Um, but Rafa has had huge praise for him. Um, if I'm, I'm pretty sure this is who I'm thinking of. But yeah, he's basically deemed him the next, you know, savior of Spain as far as the tennis world is concerned. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's heaped the praise on him. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting to watch the highlights of the Indian Wells match. I can't remember if it was semis or just before that, but Nadal played him. It was a tough three setter. The winds got really, really, really strong. And Nadal was able to weather through that literal storm uh, better than Alcaraz, but it was a pretty close three setter. Um, and Nadal, it was all praises for him then. And it was crazy that the next hardcore tournament, Alcaraz straight up won. HP 1000. I mean, I don't think really anyone was pegging him. You know, there's tons of other good players out there, right, that were playing in that tournament. But he won it and then followed it up. Interesting to see him on clay, right? I mean, he – I don't know if people, uh, the listeners know much about his game, but really, really big serve. He uses a lot of spin. He's a righty, so different than Nadal, obviously, in that sense. Um, and he's just so, so aggressive. Um, I feel like he's even more aggressive than, than Nadal in a lot of ways. He'll go for that winner. His forehand and backhand are both superb, but I think the forehand is especially good going on the inside out. can hit a lot of winners. Um, The other thing that's kind of fun about him is, uh, I don't know if you've seen much in the highlights, but he's not afraid to go for drop shots, even when he's down, match point, break point down, and he has a really nice touch with those drop shots. So helps him on the clay, but it also keeps his opponent guessing. So um, I know that's not much in ways of stats, but as far as like a different game, he, I think, has a very different game to a lot of the players that are in the top 10 and really fun to watch. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him um, in the years to come. He's so young and so so talented and motivated. 
But. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've noticed that as well. He's uh, he's got multiple aspects to his game and keeps uh, keeps it real, keeps the players yeah. guessing. Yeah, absolutely. And also just weird to watch him physically. I remember watching him in, I don't know if it was Yannick Sinner last year. They played a great match. Might have even been in Paris indoors, you know, so le- less than a year ago. And, you know, not that he looked scrawny back then, but comparing him now, he's so much muscular uh, this year, you know, put some time in the weight room and whatnot, or just obviously another year of, or almost a year of growing too. So it's amazing to see even physically how much more opposing he is. And he, he can, he can stay in those rallies. His, his defense to offense is insane. So, but we've got his numbers pulled up here. So obviously we always want to look at the numbers. So looking at the last 52 weeks for Alcarez uh, compared to his career, just looking at those numbers, they look honestly pretty similar. The only big standout ones. So serve, um, he's winning 1.2% 1 1. more service games this year than last. Um, other big stats, second serve points won, almost 1.5% more. Um, yeah, so not a huge change, just maybe able to win a little bit more constructing the rallies on his on his second serve. Overall, he's winning 1.2% more service games. That's overall helping him. He's winning 6.4% more matches. So his results are clearly there. The return, he's winning 0.5% more return games. So like the return, it really does look kind of about the same. Um, but amazing that the results are there with 6.4% more matches one. So I don't yeah, I don't really see too much else there, but obviously the higher the ranking goes, the easier it is for you to go deeper in tournaments, right? He's not having to play someone top 10, for example, in the first round. He can wait a few rounds. And build up there. So this is going to continue to help him. But numbers wise, looks honestly pretty close. Maybe just a little bit better on his service games. But it's amazing looking at his looking at his numbers here. And this is for all surfaces. He wins almost 70% of his first serve points one and 53% of his second serve points one. That's right. That's his career. Uh lately he's been winning, I guess still close to 70 and almost 55% of second serve points one. So he's Really, really dominant on his serve. Uh, can win a lot of free points. He's got a very big, heavy serve. And he can serve up some aces, too. Looks like his ace percentage is 3.7. I'm interesting to compare that to like the rest of the ATP, but I think that's a pretty good ace percentage. But as far as return points, one, let's see, overall, around that, around that 40. Oh, it's 42%. Okay. So that's actually really high. I thought it was in the 30s. I'm like, he could do some room to improve that. No, based on the numbers, he looks like he'd already be there. And then maybe that's why he's seeing the results. He's, uh, yeah, looks like a good player. I don't really have much else to say on those numbers. I don't know if you have anything, Matt. No, I think he covered it all to a pretty good extent. I mean, you look at the results this year, he's gone pretty deep, except for just one. He crashed out in Monte Carlo the first game, he first match he played in the round of 32. I guess he had to buy that first game, first round, but... Um, but other than that, I mean, he's, you know, he won two and made it to the semis at Indian Wells where he lost to Rafa and um, has uh, has gotten himself deep into these tournaments. It'll be interesting to see how he does in five setters and the, and the slams where things really matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. So but I think this is... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think this is... Um, you know, a benefit of of that big three era ending a little bit. And like you said, he's into the top 10 now. So even if, 
everybody were playing at the moment. Um, he wouldn't be facing them until a little bit later in the tournament, but I mean, you are starting to see now that these other names can come up and can have success because you don't have just total domination from three people. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, if anybody else can do what uh, Alcaraz has done for himself and come up and make a name for themselves and make some big leaps in the in the ratings in the rankings. Absolutely, yeah. I want to look at the match. See if I can pull it up here real quick, because he, like you said, he played Tsitsipas. I want to go to that match. I wonder if that's like a French Open preview, especially if Nadal or Djokovic don't don't go as deep as they normally do, right? Usually for Nadal winning the whole tournament, but um, I guess I'll uh, I'll wait to pull that up for a second. Let's let's pull up Tsitsipas, his his actual numbers for the year. So I have it pulled up for. Last year, he was insanely good on clay, so I'm comparing it to this year. And let's see, the 52 weeks. Sorry, one second. So, yeah, he has been better, actually, even than, than this last year, which is a little scary if you think about Tsitsipas. Last year, he won Monte Carlo. This year, he defended his title at Monte Carlo on the clay. Last year, he was two sets to love up on Djokovic in the final of the Roland Garros, ended up losing that. So really, he was kind of in the driver's seat for a lot of the clay, clay court season, and he won 75% of his matches, which is pretty pretty incredible. This year, he's done even better. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a little scary maybe for the competitors out there. So he is on – yeah, make sure. Yeah, I have all the surfaces set to clay, making sure that's, that's true. So for his service games, he's winning – 1% more service games. He's winning 2.5% more return games overall, winning about almost 6% more matches. And some notable numbers. Looks like he's winning 2.4% second serve points one. I think that's an interesting number. I don't know why it's so much higher. Kind of interesting. I don't know if he's tightened up that second serve. Be interesting to look at his speeds or maybe just rallying better. I'm not sure. And then same with second serve return points one. He's winning 2.7% more of those, break points 3.7% more. So he's converting more chances that he has. So, yeah, he's even better than last year, guys. And it's, uh, <laughs> and this showed because Zverev was playing so well in Madrid. And I was just having that thought of mm. – or not Madrid, sorry, Monte Carlo. I had the thought of last year when Zverev won Madrid and, was like, and beat Nadal and was playing so dominant. I'm like, man, his ground strokes, he just has it dialed in. He's so His backhand is so good. And so I thought he was going to give Tsitsipas a run for his money, maybe even beat him because he's playing so well. Tsitsipas destroyed him. It was a 6-4, 6-2 match, not even close. So Tsitsipas won 60% of the total points won in that match and just blistered him off the court. You know, won 75% of his first serve points, 58% of his second serve points. Zverev was in the 30% uh, in the 30s for his second serve. So it was it was a complete blowout. Um Really, really shocking is Vera because I feel like he's really played well in the clay the past couple of years. So, but maybe that's more of a testament to Tsitsipas's level. But one other quick thing, not related to the numbers that I feel like Tsitsipas, because I was wondering, like, why is he so good on clay? You know, we kind of talked about it last year. He plays a little bit more offensive. He moves really well in the clay. But I think in um, in addition to the movement, what he what he does really well is he, if you've noticed, where he stands. So when he's running around his backhand and hit the forehand, he's standing on the far sideline, like where you should be hitting a backhand up the line. He's sitting there and he hits forehands either wide out cross court 
inside out or he's hitting it inside in. And he's so good at that. And you're like, man, he's way over there. He's leaving the entire court open. But then when people test him and they try to hit the ball up the line, I watched so many highlights where, what does he do? He's able to cover that ground and then hit a great forehand cross and get there. So it's just kind of hard to punish him really on the clay because he's able to move so well. The court isn't as fast. So I think personally, just from a tactic standpoint, that's why he's so good on the clay. And he's really hitting that forehand just super, super well. Because his backhand is good, but I think it's one of more of his weak, weaker strokes that can break down. But I don't know if you've seen that, notice that man of where, where he stands in the rally sometimes. You're like, man, he's got the whole court. The opponent's going to blow him off the court. But that's not what happens when they try to test him up the line. He's able to get there. He's moved so well on the clay. It's impressive. Right on. I mean, I think that's what made uh, it all so, so dominant on clay was he was able to get everywhere and get everything back. Um, so if Sissipas can do that, then yeah, he can do some damage. Yeah, I think so. I surely do. Um, let's see here. What else were we going to do? Oh, yeah. I was going to pull up that Tsitsipas <coughs> Alcarez match here. Yeah, I can break these difference down for you a little bit. Yeah. So they played, what, in the quarterfinal of Barcelona? Yeah. And uh, Carlos. So Carlos won in three, six, four, five, seven, six, two. Yep. And. His first serve percentage was 71%. He won 67% of those. And then he won 67% of his second serves, which is an impressive number. So Sissipas was sitting at 45% winning. Uh, he won 45% of his second serve points and 63% of his first serve points. So I think that's probably one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest indicators right there. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, that's super impressive because, yeah, Tsitsipas, I think we saw his normal average was like 55% or something on the clay. Um, so, yeah, definitely way below that number. Um, let's see, I had it pulled up right here. And Alcarez's is usually the 53%. And what, what did you say? His is 67? Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. That's a lot higher. Yeah, Cici, or, uh, so yeah, Tsitsipas this year has actually been 57%, so even better than last year at 55 So, wow. yeah, I wonder what the – I think I saw the highlights. I just don't remember much about, like, the, the, the points or the rallies if, if Alcarez was just grinding him out or punishing his backhand or what. That's interesting. And what was the third – the third set was the – was a blowout, though? 6-2, yeah, there must have been yeah. two breaks. It's interesting. I mean, so Alcarez faced four break points to Stefanos's six, but each of them only only saved one of those. So huh, I mean, Alcarez got broken three times to Sissipas's five. Okay. If you get into the, I guess if you got into the return game here in this match, then they were able to consolidate pretty well. But yeah, and Clay can be funny that way too. You can get a couple, yeah. a couple more breaks than normal, but. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Pretty impressive for Alcaraz to, you know, beat the the rainy Monte Carlo champion Barcelona and he beat a lot of beat a lot of other good people and went to the final. Um Pablo Carina Busta was the other Spaniard in the final. He's always really fun to watch. I know you you enjoy his game too, Matt, but yeah, he beat him in the final pretty handily. I think he's the only player to have won all his finals in straight sets, too. Or or at least his first few finals. So 
he's a he's a dominant player. And he beat uh, Carlos Rude in the in the month or in the Miami Masters. And so Rude is another one where he's been you know really good on clay, but he's actually shown that he can play the hard court as well. And he made the finals impressive that he made the final, but Alcaraz dispatched him really in, in straight sets. But right on, and I mean that's an interesting thing too, right? These were his first two two wins, is that right? And they're on different surfaces. You've got one on clay, one on hard. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, and that's that's one thing that I think we've talked about with some of the newer guys. I feel like maybe there's less specialists in today's game. Mm-hmm. You look at Tsitsipas kind of – I remember when I first heard his name is when he made a kind of a run at Wimbledon. This was a few years right. ago. Like, man, that guy's pretty good on grass. And usually players don't do well on grass when they first come in because they don't. there's not many tournaments. And then he's been amazing on clay, pretty dang good on hard courts. So you're like, man, Tsitsipas is really good on like almost all surfaces. Maybe Alcarez kind of the similar way. You know, Spain, obviously, they're good on on clay. So let's, yeah, let's see how he does on the grass. He's got a big offensive game. I don't see why he couldn't do well on grass, if it's, assuming he can move well on it. But, yeah, it's been kind of interesting with some of the newer guys. Uh, maybe not Zverev right away, but I think now Zverev is pretty good on all the surfaces. I don't know. I don't remember as much on grass. Maybe not grass, but yep. he's pretty good on clay, and he used to not be, so... Yeah, I feel yeah. like the young guys have maybe a better chance on some of these other surfaces. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Obviously, this is, there's no statistics to back up what I'm about to right. say, but I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing that in, in a lot of sports today. I mean, you look at the NBA. In the past, you had five positions, and there were very specific characteristics that you needed to play each. You know, you had your center that was a big guy, and your point guards were much smaller. But nowadays, they've got to do everything. You know, you're Seven foot big man has to be able to shoot a three. I think it's the same in tennis. You've got to be able to be successful on all courts and everywhere you play in order to to be the most successful. Obviously, it's a little bit different when you're on a basketball no, team. You've got yeah, the way the game evolves. Different different sports evolve. Right, I think that's a really good point. And maybe and maybe a function of that is just you know not only where you where you train and which courts are available to you, but also you kind of cater to, you know, there, there may be more clay courts than there are clay court tournaments than there used to be, or more hardcore, you know, based on, right. you kind of based on the the tour, the challenges or wherever you're growing up on as well. I think it's multiple factors. And, yeah. and there's also player preference, of course, right. And in, in the game style, but maybe more of the game styles are going more toward the, you know, the spin and there's, you know, less serve volley type guys that, you know, like Pete Nepper's never liked the clay. Right. So, right. Maybe the game itself is getting more, you know, similar similar tools are are helpful on all the services. So, yeah, I got I got pulled up here the Novak Djokovic because for any you know I'm not a Novak Djokovic fan, but for all the fans out there that are worried about him, you know I'm sure there's just definitely some mental issues that he's trying to work through. You know, being mentally tough, and he's always a pretty mentally tough player. But I know with some of the the COVID and some of the vaccine stuff, I mean. Deported from Australia, that'd be traumatic for anybody, right? Being deported type of thing up and down. Is he going to stay? Is he not? So I think he struggled with that. But ultimately, from what I've seen, he the matches that he's lost, you know, three setters, it's been more of like a fitness issue where he's even said after the match, like, yeah, I just, uh, you know, was dizzy or tired or in that somewhere in that third set. I think he's just not match fit. But if you look at the numbers, you say, no, he's not playing as well. Well, if we looked at the numbers – He's playing pretty much the same. Actually, maybe even better in some ways. But 
yeah, he's he's looking pretty similar. Let me let me go ahead and look. I know it's there's some slight worrisome. So he's he's overall winning 2.5% fewer matches, but he's still winning 83% of his matches. That's that's a pretty high number. Uh, <laughs> uh, this of course the last 52 weeks, so it does include some of the other ones. I can't. Uh, maybe I can roll it to 2022. Um, but yeah, not a huge, not a huge difference on that. Let me, let me pull it up real quick. Cause who did he lose to Matt? He's lost to, um, let's see. I know it was Rublev in the final of Belgrade. And that was a third set. And then he lost to, I think his name is the other Spaniard that I always mispronounce his name. Well, we'll look at that match, but that was one in, um, I believe it was Barcelona where he lost pretty early on. So he I'm lost forward. to Mar- to Carlo to Fokina Davidovich. Davidovich, yeah, round of thirty-two. He's really good, yeah. And he lost in the quarters in Dubai to Vesely. Okay, thanks. Oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot about Vesely. Yeah. So here we go. There. Okay. He's so he. So if you do the fifty-two weeks instead of the, um, the career, or the twenty-twenty-two vice, the fifty-two weeks, he's definitely winning fewer matches because he hasn't played that many matches. That makes more sense. So he's yeah. it's sixty-two percent, sixty-two point five percent of his matches that are won. That's still not the end of the world when you have a small sample size. Um, there are some worrying things. In his service games, let's see. Overall, he's just winning 11% fewer service games. He's actually double faulting. Yeah, 1% more. So, not the best. And he's winning 4.6 fewer uh, second serve points one. So, I think that's probably the biggest factor to him. And also 4.8% fewer first serve points one. So, yeah, some interesting things on the serve. Hopefully, he can clean up the serve a little bit. Mm. On the return, he actually is returning better on the first serve return, 1% better. On the second serve return, 7% worse. So for 2022, yeah, definitely worse. But again, smaller sample size. I do expect it to get better. But if you looked at it just overall the last 52 weeks, it's not hurting his long-term average if you conclude everything. So so for the Novak fans out there, I wouldn't worry about it too much. His match, his average match time, I was looking at the, like looking at this number, is longer, which makes sense because he's – had more three setters. He's not been going very far, and he's been losing those three setters. So from his career of 152, one hour, 52 minutes per match, it's up to two hours and 13 minutes. So clearly he's laboring more. He's not able to win in a faster manner like he usually does. And even in these long three setters, he's losing more. So I do expect him to improve on his 63% matches won (laughs) for the year. Um should revert to the mean. And now how, how is he going to perform on the clay? I don't know. I mean, all two of these tournaments have been clay and he hasn't gone super far. So I think, yeah, we'll see. He's got Madrid and Rome, I believe. And that's it until Roland Garros. So more to yeah, come I mean, on if, the back. If he can't get his fitness up, adding an extra set is not going to make things any easier for him. But Yeah. I don't think many people are going to predict him to retain the title or repeat as Roland Garros champion. I think yeah. – Definitely Nadal would be the favorite. See how he plays. And then, honestly, you, know, you could see Tsitsipas or Alcaraz perhaps 
becoming the second and third favorite. So for you, Matt, who would you pick for the – I mean, I know who you'd pick for the first favorite. <laughs> who would you have for the second favorite for Roland Garros? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think you got to go with, you know, maybe one of the two people we've talked about so much today. I think Sissipas has more experience, and therefore, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I think that adds a lot of weight in these slams that go much longer and include a lot more pressure. But uh, who knows, man? Who knows? Maybe Alcaraz will say, playing with house money, I got nothing to lose. Let's let's hit it. So. I know. I almost want to just because it seems like it's his time in like Miami. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Barcelona, he's just kind of taking it by storm. I think he could go really deep. But like you're saying, between Tsitsipas and him, it'd be, it'd be a tough one. It'd just be based on the draw for me because I feel like both guys could do it. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll just pick Alcaraz because I feel like he's the he's the he's the hot flavor of the week, man. I mean, him and Nadal in the French Open final that would be mouthwatering. That would be, I mean, Tsitsipas would be great too, but I feel like Alcaraz and Nadal that would be blockbuster. That would be no good. Matter, no matter who wins, even if Nadal wins, I just think that would be an incredible level of tennis. Yeah, it's, I'm watching Indian Wells. That was that was a pretty pretty dang good match too. And Cici Boss, you know, I'm not taking anything away from him, but I feel like. There's been times he has beaten Nadal for sure. He's beaten him. In fact, he had the dramatic two sets to love comeback against mm. against him in Australia. I don't know if he's beaten him on clay. I'd have to look that up. I think he has. I think he beat him in Monte Carlo. But there's also been times when Nadal has completely destroyed him. There's <laughs> like 60 yeah. is not as close. So I feel like Sitsi Boss, he could be, he could beat Nadal um, on clay. But I feel like there's a chance of him, especially with that backhand being vulnerable. Where he could he could lose quicker than I I feel like how Chris could hold his own maybe a little better and maybe he doesn't have as better as good a chance to win if that makes sense I feel like Alcaraz could keep it close but I don't know these are just just hearsay for sure there's like I said no numbers okay. to back that up either but no it's exciting I think I think it's a definitely a more wide open Roland Garros from maybe not the top spot but from everyone else um I feel like there's definitely some room for some people to go far. Uh, Davidovich, uh, probably butchered his name again, but he's also been playing really well in the clay. Car- uh, Kasper Rude plays well in the clay. I think there's some other guys that could also go far and maybe disrupt some of the, you know, the hold of the top 10. Uh, I don't know about team and Stan, if they're going to be ready. I know they're kind of struggled on their returns back in the challenger, but those, both those guys can play on the clay. We know that when they're his team playing again, I believe so. I believe he's playing again. Good. Uh, yeah, I don't know how, again, how well – you know, he lost his first, ma- first match in the comeback and seemed to okay. stand, but I don't know how he's done since then because I'm not really following the Challenger Tour, but I can I can look it up real quick and see how the team's doing. But uh, real real quick, while we got a few minutes, I also want to put a plug into American tennis. Can't, can't not talk about Taylor Fritz and how amazing it was that he beat Nadal in straight sets and Indian Wells first – First man to well, win it. Nadal with a, a with a broken rib. Let's keep. True, but <laughs> but Nadal still played great. Honestly, I know, um, I know, it's crazy. That's true, and but um, Fritz also had an injury. He was advised not to play. Was that right? I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, I can't remember no. what the injury was, but he was advised not to play. He would injure it further. He said, "No, nah, I'm playing anyways." Oh, good and for he him. Ended up because people were like, "Oh, he's not going to last very long at all," and he ended up winning. Of course, like I said, both guys were dealing with injuries. <laughs> but Nadal honestly didn't really show it until maybe the second set. 
uh, at least in my opinion from watching it because I watched most of the final. But it was amazing, amazing comeback win. And still, you know, two. I think 2003 was the last time an American man won at Indian Wells. I don't know who it was, if it was Agassiz or whoever, but it's, yeah, still amazing for American tennis. Got to put the plug in. It's still Masters 1000. No, I agree. I agree. It's yeah. great. So. And he, he has cracked the top 10, so we have an American, right? No, yeah. I, was, I was looking at – I thought he was. No, he's top 20. Yeah, sorry, you're right. He was yeah, seated was 20. He was seated 20 during Indian Wells. Okay. So I bet you – I don't know if he's quite in top 10, but he's probably going to be close. I'll be close. Let's look at him here. But, yeah, still pretty amazing for American tennis. Maybe there's a chance. I know the Americans that have been playing well on clay – or, you know, Isner and oh Opelka, they played in the Houston final, and Opelka won it. I, I feel like we need to do a, an episode on that, Matt, because Opelka and Isner obviously play a lot of tie breaks. They're big serving dudes, but Opelka just has had Isner's number. He's beaten him like the last, I don't even know how many times. I don't know even if Isner has beaten him recently, and I don't really know why. I mean, both guys are good, but I feel like we should do, yeah, look at some of those numbers. Look at maybe some of the reasons why Fritz is uh, ranked 13th, so he's pretty okay. close to the top 10. Sinner is 12, Nor Cam Nori is 11, mm. Ajrali Asim is 10, Alcarez number nine. So, pretty, pretty fun. Um, there's also got a note, you know, real quick, it's just as far as big picture tennis stuff. Wimbledon has announced that Belarusian and Russian players will be banned from Wimbledon. Unless yeah. things change yeah. with the Ukraine situation as well, they've put it. So it looks like Medvedev and Rublev, two in the top 10, might add. And Medvedev has definitely gotten better on the grass the last couple of years. They're not invited to Wimbledon this year. They're looking at Rome, possibly. There sounds like Italian government's trying to pressure the Rome organizers to also do the same. So that could be a blow to, to both those Russian guys that, Rublev, especially on the clay, he's not as good on grass, but he's also been good on the clay. So it'd be a blow to not have him at Rome. And I know some people are pushing back. They're saying, you know, this is, this shouldn't be a you shouldn't make tennis political type of thing. But yeah, I know they're also trying to sanction Russia all they all that they can. So, right. like I said, I don't think it's a popular thing, but that sounds like what Wimbledon's already kind of made their decision. They said it could be subject to change, but I think the war probably have to stop or. Something dramatic would have to happen. So, um, but while I'm talking Rublev, let me pull up his stats super quick, um, if you don't mind. Let's see. I had it pulled up. Because I've been impressed with his game, too, just on every surface. But he really has been good on clay the past couple of years. But this year, he's definitely even better. So, he this year, he's winning 5% more matches. He's winning 7% more service games. He's winning 1% fewer return games. Kind of interesting. But overall, he's he's saving 11% more break points. And so you think, oh, well, he must not have been saving very many break points. you know. But that's not true. He's already taken <laughs> 50% up to 71%. So I don't know if that's mentally tough or bigger serve or what. I feel like the break points saved is an interesting stat. It's very important, but what goes into that? You know, it's right. hard to... It'd be interesting to see some studies on that or some data on that. He's winning 3.5% more second serve points won and 2.2% more first serve points won. So overall, he's he's serving way better on the clay. And 
He's up to, you know, he's not a, not a Djokovic with 83% matches won. <laughs> Still, you know, 66%, pretty decent uh, improvement from his 62% last year. So be interesting to see Rublev. I know he he and Tsitsipas have played, I think last year at Roland Garros, they played a really good, really good match. And the tournament right before it, Geneva, which is like the week right before Roland Garros, Rublev beat Tsitsipas in the final. So Rublev mm-hmm. can play the clay. Which is which is interesting because I feel like in my mind sometimes I picture him just as a huge hardcore hitter destroying yeah. the forehand, smashing up the line. But he's got he's got the game on clay too. So don't forget about Andre Rublev, assuming he can play in Rome. I think he'll be there in Madrid this week. But I don't know if you have anything else you want to close with, Matt. I know it's been a while since we recorded, so it has been a lot out there. Glad to get back into some slams and the lead up to the French. It'll be uh, it'll be fun. Fun to see who comes out. Absolutely. Who plays well. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have for you guys today. Um, as always, visit us at cognitionsphere.com and share this podcast with a friend that loves tennis. Our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And until the next time, we'll see you on the court.